Christianity become dangerously close to extinction. Why? Well, you tell me. When was the last time you shared your faith? You know, when was the last time we shared our faith really? Uh, Not just told somebody, oh yeah, I go to church, or I read my Bible, but really shared our faith. The hope that lies within you to to that non-believer, or maybe you had an opportunity to encourage another believer. That's where the enemy wants us. He wants us to do absolutely nothing. Satan has run a very successful campaign to draw the modern church into a place of complacency. One of our chief missions as followers of Christ is to share what he's done for us with others. Yet, as Pastor Mark asks in today's message, when's the last time we did that? When is the last time we talked with a lost person about the soul-saving love that Christ demonstrated for us on the cross? Most of us are afraid. It makes us uncomfortable to even think about it. It's time to step out of that comfort zone. We have a message that needs to be spread, and to keep it hidden away is selfish and unloving. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 17 with today's edition of Come Alive. I broke this chapter 17. I thought, man, it'd be fun just to run through this whole thing real quick. I mean, we know it. And then I thought, no, you know what? We need to know some weapons. We need to know what the weapons stand for and what they're made out of that are formed against us and and where they come from. And so I thought I'd break it up into a couple of messages and so we're going to start in, in, in verse 1, and we're going to travel a little ways. We'll see how far we get today. But there are those times in our lives when we take a stand and, you know, in our lives when battle lines have been drawn. And, and for you and I, those battle lines have already been drawn because we have, in a sense, we have defected, in, in a sense, to God's side. We have, we have changed ourselves in such a way that instead of living for the world, we decide we want to live for God. And so we have defected to God's side. And the devil doesn't want you to move forward. He said, okay, cool. You can go and play on that team, but as long as you sit on the bench, everything is okay. Because at that point, as we spoke about before a while back, you're you're absolutely no threat to God when you do absolutely nothing for him. And you might think, well, I have quiet time. Again, you're, you're no threat to the devil when you do absolutely nothing for the, for, for the Lord and to fight against the devil. So you can have quiet time. You can read your Bible. You can have your bumper stickers, your Christian music, and all that great stuff, your T-shirts and your, your jewelry. And if you do nothing for the Lord, then you're no threat to the devil. And it's kind of like a guy in the army. If he just sits in his barracks with an unloaded gun, I mean, what threat is he to the enemy? Why would you even worry about this one individual? So we see this often in our society. Giants rise up before our eyes. You know, these things such as the giant of immorality or materialism, idol worship, or even so-called churches that don't teach the whole counsel of God's word tend to rise up and and cause people to just kind of sit and stay, kind of live comfortably. And so they, the world, the flesh, stand tall before us and they mock. The ideas sound better. Uh, They sound very smart. 
and intelligent. And they come towards us and they run at us every single day. Yet we do not fight against them. We just kind of sit and watch. We may even stand up so we get a better view to watch. And so we know that we do not battle. We don't battle against, well, flesh and blood, but against principalities, against those powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Those, those are the things we do battle with. We are in war. And we are called to wage the good warfare. And see, if America were to wage that good war or just a war with another country, that would mean we, in a sense, would start it, right? When you wage war, you start the war usually. You might take a hit or two, but eventually you say enough is enough, and now it's time for me to move. It's time for me to move forward and do something. So if we were, as a country, to start a war, to wage war against another country, we would probably start moving our forces towards that other country, to that other place. And yet we as Christians are the ones intimidated by every wind of doctrine, afraid to stand publicly. We're not waging any kind of a war. Look at verse 1 in chapter 17. It says, Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle, and were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Soko and Azekah in Ephes, Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah. And drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on one mountainside, and the Israelites stood on a mountainside on the other, with the valley between them. And so the battle lines have been drawn in in our story today. The stakes are serious, the risks are great, and the contest is to kill, destroy, and steal. See, Satan's strategy is told to us by Jesus in John 10.10. If you guys will turn there real quick, we'll look at what that strategy is, and you'll see it, and we need to know it. Again, it's, it's the strategy of the enemy, John 10, verse 10. It says, the thief does not come except to steal, and so to kill and to destroy. I, and Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. So we're told of Satan's mission. Yet, right after that, Jesus tells us of his mission, of Jesus's, of God's mission. He says, the, the enemy has come to kill, steal, and destroy, to cause these problems, but here's what I've come to do. And so it goes back to what we've been talking about, a, a mission. And with that in mind, we're told to follow him in John twenty twenty one, as we've talked about the last couple of weeks. Jesus reiterates for us that as the Father has sent him, he also sends us. So if God sends Jesus into this mission so people can have life more abundantly, then wouldn't it just make sense that we are sent into that same mission for no other reason than that mission? It doesn't make sense to say, well, you know, I'm here to play a different role. Well, what, what role would that be? I mean, what other role is there? Oh, we are called to go, therefore, and make disciples. Oh, we are sent as the Father has sent Jesus. And so being sent in that same manner to do what? To rescue people. And so, can anyone guess, and I was, I was, you think about India, how big India is, and where it is, and how many people don't know Jesus there. We've watched a film one evening here, and the guy was going around, and he was explaining, and there was a translator talking about, yeah, I'd go door to door, and I would knock, and all of a sudden, you know, I'd say, hey, do you know Jesus? And this lady would say, oh, yeah, I think he lives in the next village. And so, how they didn't know, but can anyone guess what the, the third largest mission field in the world is? 
Take a guess. Anyone take a guess? Just shout it out. We can be Pentecostal for a second or two. The USA. The United States of America is the third largest mission field in the world. And you might think, well, how is that with all the churches that we have? Well, America, because of our population of unbelieving people, has won that award. We have a population of unbelieving people. There's a lot of people who just choose not to believe that there is a God. Or they choose to believe in many gods or pantheism. But we have a tendency to believe that the church sends people. But when we realize that the church, well, as the church, the church, you and I, if we're called to be the church, uh, we are a sent people. We are the sent people. If God sends Jesus and Jesus sends us as his father has sent him, we are the sent ones. We are the people who should do the things that should cause change. So Jesus' mission calls us to himself and worship, and then he sends us out into the world and into his service, the king's service, so to speak, to represent his kingdom and proclaim his gospel wherever we are at. Wherever we are at. Uh, Think about wherever you will go today. Do you think you could proclaim Jesus' gospel today wherever you go? And I would say, yeah, you have freedom of speech. You can do that. And so the enemy wants to kill and destroy us in salvations and sanctification. He, he doesn't want us to go out and tell anybody. He wants to stop that. And if he can do that, then where would Christianity be? We've talked about it before. We see it. It can go extinct by the next generation. Well, we know as Americans we were once a very evangelized country, but now we're seeing Christianity become dangerously close to extinction. Why? Well, you tell me. When was the last time you shared your faith? You know, when was the last time we shared our faith really? Uh, not just told somebody, oh yeah, I go to church, or I read my Bible, but really shared our faith, the hope that lies within you to, to that non-believer, or maybe you had an opportunity to encourage another believer. That's where the enemy wants us. He wants us to do absolutely nothing. And again, at that point, we are no threat. So we know from Scripture that The God of this world blinds the mind, eyes, and the heart. So why is this so important if if our eyes are blinded and our hearts are blinded? Why is this so important? Well, when someone chooses to see physically, right? When someone chooses to see physically rather than spiritually, they're only looking at outward appearance. Only outward appearance. And seeing things from only the physical and not the spiritual, well, the enemy really is ripping you off. When we only look at the physical, when we see that guy that's standing there or that girl and you might think, Oh, man, there's no, no, that guy, he just looks to me. He might beat me up. He might yell at me. They might throw me out. I could possibly lose my job if I do this. Well, we're seeing things physically rather than spiritually. We're only looking at that outward appearance, seeing things from the physical. And so the the sanctification point of view we also need to talk about. We not only see this from the salvational point of view, but also the sanctification point of view. Satan doesn't want you growing and walking step by step. And this is how you grow and you walk. When you share your faith, when you serve in a church, when you get down to business and you get out and you help with different things in in your fellowship, in your home church. And so we have to grow walking step by step closer to God. And no, he would rather you not move at all. See, Satan doesn't want you to move at all. He puts those things in front of you that distract or look very appealing, those shiny objects. James 4, 7 says, therefore submit to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. 
What's the first part of that? You know, I hear that verse all the time. Just, you know, if you just resist the devil, he will flee from you. But there's a very important first part to that. And a lot of people don't like that first part. It's submitting to God. It's saying, okay, I'm I'm here at your disposal. I'll do whatever it is you want me to do. Submit to God first and foremost. And so two things, submit to God and resist. And, And you don't submit to yourself or the advice from a well-meaning friend, or, or a self-help book, but you submit to God. And then you resist, and the devil will flee from you. You stand and you fight the urge, the temptation, and if you have to, you get people involved. Hey, man, this Mark, I'm having a hard time today. I'm getting angry. I'm wanting to really, you know, I want to punch this guy in the nose, or I'm really, you know, the other day I told my wife, I was like, man, I'm so glad I'm saved. And she was like, why? And I was like, because, man, I've had an urge lately just to rob banks. I have. I just like, man, every time I drive by a bank, I don't, I, you know, I'm all like, man, that'd be really cool to pull that off, you know, but with alarms and technology, that's the only reason that I won't do it. It's because I know what they throw in those bags. I used to be a banker. I know they can trace that money. It doesn't have to blow up and turn colors on you. I was like, man, just think if we, it, it, the 30s, Bonnie and Clyde, how many banks they got away with. And they were kind of dumb about it when you read about them, you know, and Yes, I've been reading about bank robbers, and that's part of the urge. It's like, not that it's romantic, or it's just like, man, that'd be kind of crazy. That's quick, easy money. You just rob a bank in one state and drive six states away, and hey, there you go. You live high on the hog, and then if you need more money, you come back to that state. You rip it off until it runs out of money and move on to the next state. I'm not telling you guys to do that. I'm just saying it was a, it's a weird urge. You'll get caught these days. But see, if that was, you know, I told my wife, and so every time we drive by a bank, you know, she's just all like, well... And, you know, she won't let me take the bandanas in the car anymore and the hats. and So she's helping me out. She's helping me resist so the devil will flee. But if I submit to God, if I focus my attention on other things, godly things, other than robbing banks and wanting money, because that's where it all starts is the, the desire. What is my heart's desire? Well, if, if I focus on the Lord, it'll be the Lord. So the enemy wants to keep you on a path of unrighteousness. But if you resist the devil, wash your hands of it, so to speak, you can stay on that path of righteousness. So here in 1 Samuel 17, we have on one side of this mountain or valley, we have Israel. And on the other side, we have the Philistines. The word Israel, write this down if you're taking notes. The word Israel means governed by God. Governed by God. That's what the word Israel means. Governed by God. And on the other side of the battle line, we have the Philistines. And that means those who dwell in villages. And you're like, all right, Mark, I get the governed by God thing, but those who dwell in villages, I'm not getting the correlation. But just wait. It would be good for Israel if the Philistines would have just stayed in their villages. Just lived in their villages, just, just like all would be good in your life if the devil would just stay in Sheol, if he just stay in hell where he belongs, all in your life would be awesome. But he doesn't. The Philistines don't. They come against Israel, those governed by God, and they've come to attack the people of God at Judah. Now write this down. Judah means, if you're taking notes, Judah means praise. Praise. And the Philistines were coming against the praise, so to speak. They're coming against praise. The enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone who he may devour. So think about this. When you're praising God, 
when you're worshiping him, maybe in your quiet times or in your car and you're just kind of singing out to the Lord and you're really truly praising him, not because you like the song or the beat, all that helps, but you're truly praising God, then what happens? Where does your mind usually go? Hopefully it stays on God, but sometimes there's something that distracts us, a billboard, so to speak, oh, or a car. Man, I'd really like to have that. I bet if I, you know, whatever, rob more banks, I can get that car. It would be a fast getaway car. And so here they are in this valley, the Valley of Elah. Elah means oath or pledge or promise. And I thought this was really kind of interesting as we write down these notes about the names. And again, Elah means oath, pledge, or promise. But you could say that you have done the same thing. You've made an oath, a pledge, or a promise. Your confession, your pledge to Jesus came from your mouth. It came from your heart. And so... The enemy will come against you at the place where you made your promise, right? And now think about that. We always talk about the heart and the mind, the heart and the mind. It's it's one and the same when we read the heart. And so here comes the enemy, and and he's throwing something so attractive up to you, and it's distracted you. It's got your attention looking away from the Lord, looking away from those things that God wants you to do. And you had great intentions, and intentions are good, but if you don't act on them, if you don't move, well you're no good. I could say my intention today is to give each of you $30 for showing up this morning. But if I don't pull that money out of my pocket, it does you no good. It does me all the better, but it does you no good. And so there's that place where we come where you've made your promise that we're attacked. And often the enemy has you in that valley of the oath, questioning it. You may not see spiritual success in your life. Well, you know, Mark, I did. I witnessed to this guy at work and he told me to shut up. Or he'd ram my head in the microwave and flip it to two minutes and fry what's left of my brain. And you might be like, oh, man, he was a mean guy. And I might pat you on the back and go, oh, man, I'm so sorry. Get out there. Try it again. You're like, well, that's kind of mean of you. Well, what about the football player that gets hit really hard? And he gets up and he sees stars. He goes to his coach, man, coach, are you serious? I got to go up against that big dude? Isn't there any short dude I can go up against? Couldn't we just leave that hole wide open? Well, what about the skinny guy throwing the ball? He's going to get nailed. And it doesn't work in that because two teams are fighting against each other. They're battling against each other. And there needs to be this huddle time. Like I said, we come to church for that time. And so, again, you can just, you know, we we give Jesus our life. We want and we need him for salvation, right? We all want to get to heaven. This week I, I led a dude to the Lord in my office. It was a divine appointment. He happened to feel sick. Needed some place to hang out for a little while. I remember thinking, oh man, seriously, I got to hang out with this guy. I want to hang out with him. I'm having a great time studying and reading my Bible and having quiet time. And he seriously, my guys are going to bring him back at 1230 in the afternoon. It's my lunch time. He's probably going to sit here and stare and watch me eat. I got better things to do, Lord, than to babysit this guy that can't make it. And, and so all of a sudden he comes in, he sits down and he doesn't look sick. And I said, well, what's the matter with you? Well... I'm hypoglycemic. And so, well, I don't have anything with sugar in it. Uh, you're welcome to drink the creamer in the refrigerator for the coffee. I think that has some, but it's up to you. you know, no, 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 Mike gave me a jelly roll. I feel better now. And I remember thinking, well, then I should take you back out and put you back to work. And I was like, nah, he's new. He's just going to slow everyone down. I'll just keep him here. And I said, well, you're welcome to sit out on the front porch if you'd like. I'm studying for church. And he started asking questions about church. And then I was like, hmm, 
And he said, hey, you know, I used to be a Wicca. I tried that. It was kind of weird. Kind of liked it. And I used to be an atheist. And I started thinking, I was like, no, come on, Lord. I don't have that much time. I got, I got to leave in 30 minutes. I have an appointment. And so I was like, all right, I think I can do this in 30 minutes. So I pull up the I Am Second website. I'm like, here, watch this video. He watches Brian Head Welch. He's just into it. Somebody walked into my office. He didn't even know this person was there. And I'm like, wow, he's really tuned into that. And the next thing you know, we start talking about salvation. So I asked him, I said, hey, so if you were to die today, where would you go? He's like, hell. I'm like, all right, well, do you want to go to heaven? He said, yeah. And I go, well, that's cool. Everybody wants to go there. What are you willing to pay? What price? He goes, well, what do you mean? So make a long story short, I explained it to him. I told him it's not easy. It's a lot of hard work. If he really meant wanting to be saved, wanting to go to heaven, then, hey, man, I'll pray with him. And so he did. And, you know, he was like, well, how do I get to your church? I don't always have a ride to that part of town. I'm like, well, do your best, you know, and, and try to get here if you can, if, if, if you can get somebody to drop you off. And so he said, all right. And so, you know, I told him I'd bring him a Bible and things like that. Those things that happen in our lives come up at inconvenient moments. And God's like, I don't care about your comfort, Mark. I don't care that you need to study for Sunday. I don't care that you have a one o'clock appointment. I don't care about any of that stuff. I care about this guy making it into heaven. After all, that's why I sent my son to die. And for you to treat this like it's nothing, like you're bothered, how dare you? And so it it was pretty exciting. I got to explain some stuff to him. I got to talk to him. And I made sure. I said, hey, don't do this because you're my employee. I was like, you know, do this because it's the right thing to do. You're not going to get any more money, and work isn't going to get any easier for you. It actually is going to get harder because I'm going to have higher expectations for you as a Christian. Not in the first week, but in the first 10 days. And so he was just kind of like, and I was like, I'm just joking. But I I will have higher expectations for you as a Christian. And so as he has Bible studies coming early in the morning, he said he would do that. We'll talk those things out. So sanctification. Now he, he had salvation. Now he's got to move on to sanctification. Well, that's when people look at your life and say, you know, you're really different. Or there may not be much. And they say, well, I didn't know you were saved. I didn't know you were a Christian. When did you get saved? Oh, 15, 20 years ago. Really? Wow. You're not any different than any of us. And some of us might be like, that's the way I want it. I want to still be cool. I want to look cool. I want to act cool. I want to do all this stuff. But there's no, well, there's no real progress. You're not really different. The sanctification means you begin to live a different lifestyle. It's a little more purified day by day, minute by minute maybe for some of us. But you're able to, you know, to handle those things that used to give you trouble. You may be familiar with David's story in the book of 1 Samuel, but did you know he was just one of many important characters from the verses of this Old Testament book? Many people's lives are intertwined to bring about God's plan, even some who weren't following their creator. God used each person to pave the way for David to ascend the throne and ultimately to bring about salvation for the entire world through his line. Today, you may be a David in your own world. God may be calling you to huge things that will take you to potentially dangerous but ultimately wonderful places. On the other hand, you might be someone God is using to prepare the way for another or to support them in their role. This doesn't in any way diminish your importance. Wherever you are in life, you can be demonstrating God to the world. 
If you'd like us to pray for you as you seek God's will for your life, please give us a call. We can be reached at 281-391-5503. That number again is 281-391-5503. If you'd like to hear today's message again or listen to other editions of Come Alive, we'd like to encourage you to subscribe to our podcast. Find us on your smartphone app store or subscribe on iTunes. You'll receive up-to-date teachings as soon as we make them available. That's all we have time for today. Join us next time to continue studying through 1 Samuel right here on Come Alive.